Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. My name is Chandra. I'm your host. Welcome to this episode, which is another interview episode as part of our Career Change After 40 interview series, where we are talking with and getting to know a little bit about a whole range of women who've made significant career change after the age of 40 to hear about what change they made, why they made it, how they made it, insights from the other side, if you like, so that you can get some inspiration if you're considering your own career change later in life. Today, we are going to be chatting with the lovely Stacey Juba from Shortcuts for Writers. Hello, Stacey. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, How are you and and whereabouts are you today? Um, I'm in the United States, Massachusetts. Nice. Um, Yeah. I think think we're at um, opposite ends of the day. Yes, it's about 8.15 at night here. Oh, Well, thank you so much for making the time to be available for this uh, conversation. I really appreciate it. And I know that people listening will um, appreciate your your story and insights. Perhaps something that could be good to kick us off is if you can just give us a little bit of a brief context of what is it that you used to do for work and what do you do now? Uh, So I, years ago, um, I was a, newspaper reporter. I did, um, I covered uh, town meetings, did feature stories and did a lot of health writing. And then I don't know why, sorry, but whenever somebody says that they're a reporter, I just think of Superman, Clark Kent. Oh yeah. Racing around. That was my... Yeah, there was actually somebody at the newspaper that used to call me Lois Lane. Oh, really? That was always off somewhere. Yeah, totally. That's such a good nickname for you. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I just had that vision. That I had to say. <laughs> yeah, so I did that for a few years. I actually met my husband there, and he was a sports writer. Oh. Uh, and then I uh, did some. Still did writing, but it was for a wellness organization that ha- had conferences for. Um, for educators and students, kind of leadership and wellness conferences. So I did their newsletter and I wrote a lot of press releases oh, yeah. in the newspaper. And then once I had my, once I started having kids, when I had my first daughter, um, for a long time I did um, some freelance writing. I, I worked with clients that I, um, that that last job I'd had, I did a newsletter for them for several years. But as a, they were one of my freelance clients. Mm-hmm. I, I worked with them full time, and then I did some writing for different publications, um, a lot of health writing, like for a hospital, um, and, and that kind of thing. Just a whole variety, writing for parenting magazines, a lot of freelance writing. Yeah. Then when I was about forty, uh, that's when I started focusing more on developmental editing. Um, I should add also that this whole time I wrote books, I have several books published. Um, so congratulations. That's a great, Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So I did, um, I've had some 
chiclet, kind of romantic comedy novels, mysteries, some young adult books, a couple of children's books. So I wrote a whole variety as I was doing all this freelance writing. And then I decided to try doing some developmental editing because I just kind of wanted to- What mean, developmental editing? That is like where, um, there's different kinds of editing, but usually authors will hire a freelance editor. Mm-hmm either to to give them feedback on their book either before they send it off to agents and publishers if they want to go like the traditional publishing route or before they Mm self-publish if they want to go the independent route but either way um it's always a good idea to hire a freelance editor so there's developmental editors there's copy editors um proofreaders so developmental editing is the first editor you would start with and so I would give an overview of the whole manuscript. So I'll read it. I'll make a lot of notes on it. I'll do some some line editing and make a lot of comments in the margin using track changes. Um, and then I'll write a long letter. It could be like a 10-page single-space letter with all my <laughs> feedback. <laughs> so like for a novel, it would be on um, the characters, setting, plot holes, um, pacing the overall technique oh it just makes um, me feel like getting a, a, like a, a test back from a teacher in primary school with all just red marking all over it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they're like... usually nervous <laughs> a lot of times they're waiting anxiously with being impressed to see what the feedback and that which I can totally relate to being a writer myself yes you've been on the receiving end of a few of those I'm sure yes um so I, I did that for s- several years and then this year, um, I launched an online course. Um, I officially kind of ch- changed my business name to Shortcuts for Writers. And so last year, I spent a lot of time um, setting up my website and cr- actually creating my first course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I plan to expand into more courses later this year. But the, um, the course that I launched this year is called Book Editing Blueprint, Step-by-Step Plan to Making Your Novels Publishable. And I found that, I created that because a lot of my clients were sending, really they're sending their manuscripts to an editor too early. Uh Um, While editing is really important for writers, the problem with it is that it's very expensive. It could cost several hundred dollars um, for one round of editing, and most beginner writers need multiple rounds it's, it's not uncommon for a beginner writer to ideally need like seven or eight rounds of developmental editing, which most people can't afford more than maybe two or three. Yeah. So that leaves them with a manuscript that's getting, getting better and better, but still not ready for publication. Um, and I found that a lot of the clients were making the same kinds of mistakes. It was just a lot of show, um, like telling rather than showing and um, overused words and kind of flat characters or sagging middles with not enough conflict. Um, So I decided the more efficient way to kind of work with some of these beginner and intermediate writers was to offer a class. So um, that way it would be a lot more affordable for them. Mm -hmm. So basically I would tell them everything everything that they should be looking at before they send it to developmental editors so, so that they could view it through an editor's eyes. Um, and then I give them a big checklist of everything that I would be looking at. So this way they can kind of look, look through it themselves mm-hmm. and try to um, you know catch some of these errors on their own and catch some of these plot holes and 
um, this kind of bigger and, and smaller issues so that by the time they've gone through this and have re done several rewrites, they'll have done those early rounds themselves so that by the time they're ready to hire an editor, the manuscript should be much further along and then hopefully they can cut down quite a bit on those editing yeah, expenses. Right. So it's like a, a pre-editing step that, that, you know, your course now offers writers. Right. Yeah, great. Right. And so uh, the move to doing something like that, so there's a difference, I think, between writing for yourself and even doing freelance writing where you're, you know, writing, whether it's, as you said, articles, newsletters, things like that, to then offering a service where you're um, packaging up your expertise and selling that as a product or a program, it is a shift. So although there's the common theme, it seems like in your work life of writing, that's, you know, been a bit of a through line for you, this is a slightly different direction and is more business minded. Yes. How did you, yes. how did you make that leap? Had you always thought that you would go down a path of wanting a business rather than just, I guess, selling your services or how did that uh, idea come about for you? Um, no, I mean, my made my minor in college was actually management. So I did take some marketing and advertising courses. Um, but I never really intended to use them other than in the context of like promoting my books once they were published. Mm -hmm. I, I did do a lot of, um, I did learn a lot about social media and, um, uh, book promotion and blogging and that sort of thing through promoting my books. And I think that that's what kind of let me, um, help me to start developing kind of an entrepreneurial mindset uh -huh. where I, I could see there, there's so many, um, there's so many different freelancers with, with different services for authors, like there's graphic designers, there's, um, copy editors, development editors, proofreaders, book form editors, publicists. So there's just a whole community of um, different service providers. And I thought, you know, I, I think I, I would like to do something like that to supplement my income from my books. Yep. Um, and I, I still do a little bit of freelance writing on the side, but I just kind of wanted to try something different and to, um, I really like the idea of having my own business and just seeing where it went and um, having it grow. Yeah. So um, it, it was a lot of groundwork involved. Um, just more so, not so much with the editing, because I kind of started off slowly with that and just gradually built up my clients and experimented with my rates and um, raising my rates mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, and a lot of my clients came to me from word of mouth or um, and from different listings where I had um, listed my website. But with the course creation, that was a huge shift um, because it was just a whole another world to learn. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> just the like one thing I wanted to do was have a separate website for the shortcuts for writers. I didn't want it to be just kind of um, blended together with my author website. Yes. So, and this is a common um, thing, just if I can jump in, that, that sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, people will have a business idea, but then they also operate as a consultant or they have a different type of service or product that they offer. And then that challenge becomes, well, you know, how do I marry up these two? Or do I keep them totally 
separate. And sometimes it makes sense to have the one umbrella website and then easy navigation to the different offerings that you have. And other times it, they're, they're two very different uh, platforms. So you made the decision that you wanted to keep them separate. What was your thinking behind that? Why you lent that way, do you think? I think it's because I'd be marketing to two totally different audiences. Mm-hmm. Like with my author website, my stacyjuba.com website, I'm marketing more to readers. Uh-huh. And for a while I had my editing service sort of on that page under that umbrella. But when I knew I wanted to expand into online courses, I knew that the more I took a lot of webinars and read lots of um read lots of articles, listened to lots of podcasts. It just really absorbed as much as I could about Mm. online courses. So I could really see what the best way to market market it would be. And I just felt that I needed a blog, like a whole separate blog. And I needed kind of a homepage where people would just land on it and know exactly what like what shortcuts for writers was like how this site could help them and if it was if I was just leaving them to my author website then it's well there's all these books and it's just what wouldn't be really clear yes what the um my central like what I could offer them actually offering and this is a really good point that applies I think to you know everyone that's going into business is about the importance of understanding marketing and particularly online marketing and how you need to be thinking through the eyes of your audience, not through your own eyes. And this can be one of the big leaps that you've got to take when you're going into working for yourself. You might be really passionate about writing or macrame or painting or whatever it is that you do, but you need to be developing your marketing skills in order to reach your ideal audience and so I think it's great that you kind of early on you know invested time and energy into learning about some of those things to then be able to make decisions that would help you um, reach and communicate more effectively with those two different audiences that you're trying to, to connect with. Right and the, the other aspect was I needed a logo um, yep. that took a while <laughs> to get to get the right logo and tagline I can't with the tagline um, editing made simple and then on my homepage, I wanted to make it really clear like what made me different from other editors um, because I think what makes me different is because I'm trying to guide the more the beginner writers mm-hmm. or the intermediate writers who are st- who might have a couple of books published but they're still finding that they're doing several rounds of editing or, you know, they're, they're not at the point yet where their editor is saying, Oh, wow, this is really clean yes. draft. Um, they still have more to learn. So I wanted to kind of make it clear to them that I, I think the most affordable way for them to, um, you know, to, to get to the next level is to take this class yeah. and just get that solid baseline. And then once they've done that, then, you know, they could work with me with an editor as an editor, or they could work with, um, you know, really any editor, yeah. mm-hmm. but they would just, just kind of be at a higher level. So that, so that's kind of I wanted to convey in my, in, in my website is that I'm not just promoting my editing services, but, you know, I, I'm trying to connect with authors that want to simplify and streamline the editing process um, to, to break it down so that their rewrites are easier and, that, and so that they can save a significant amount of money in the process. Yeah, great. And again, that just shows a really good marketing savviness about you, about how you're trying to communicate succinctly who you are for and what the benefit is to them. 
And I, so I think that's a really great takeout for anyone listening to be, you know, thinking about how do, how do you articulate that in in your website, in your tagline, et cetera, so that the right people can understand, hey, this person could actually help me with this problem that I've got. That's, that's awesome. And so going into this uh, online course creation and, and course delivery, whilst you were bringing your existing interest and, and passion for writing and your experience writing into that, what were some of the challenges that you faced in going down this path of creating some kind of online program? Because I think a lot of people can hear about, oh, you know, you can create an online course and you just stick it up online and make heaps of money. Um, I think people can, you know, oversimplify <laughs> these things. <laughs> so for you, what with hindsight or even it might be current challenges, what are some of the challenges that you have found in packaging up what you know into an online course? I think um, I, I was working on the, the curriculum for a couple of years, and I, I think I was intimidated a lot by the technology uh-huh. aspects of it. I knew what I wanted to say, and I wrote all the I wrote all the modules and everything, but I wanted to make it more multimedia, so that there were written transcripts, but there would also be slides um, with voiceovers and some mm-hmm. videos, and that was just a huge learning curve, like. Um, doing a lot of research, like the best kind of webcam to get, the best kind of um, microphone, and then and then kind of through trial and error, learning more about the sound quality and adjusting the levels. Yeah. Um, I I um, d- downloaded Audacity, mm-hmm. which is like an editing program, yeah. and I, I do the very I, I'm not very advanced with it, but I, <laughs> I watched some YouTube videos yeah. and gathered enough, you know, some little scans I can run to kind of um, just improve the audio quality. Um, so it was just a lot of teaching myself things and redoing it sometimes where I'd listen to something and I'd say, oh, that audio isn't as, is, um, it's not as good as I wanted mm-hmm. or just little things like learning how to do the Google Slides and um, Screencast-O-Matic. I, I downloaded that to, to actually do my slides and just kind of learning how to do a little bit of editing. Like it took me forever to learn how to edit out silence. <laughs> like if I had like a couple of seconds of extra <laughs> silence in it and then sometimes it would, I would just screw the whole thing up and I'd be like, take up too much and yeah. it would sound choppy. <laughs> so that, that, then that's still a struggle. I'm still learning. I've, it's, it's gotten a lot. Um, it's a lot easier for me now than it was, but I mean, there's still definitely more to learn yeah. and lighting when I'm yeah. doing a video. Most of the videos I've done are voiceovers, but sometimes I, I want to do like a, like a demo or something and I want to share my screen mm-hmm. um, and just have them see me sometimes just so they can kind of connect with me as yes. the instructor and know who, know who I am. And, um, lighting <laughs> that, that is like my nemesis that drives yeah. me crazy yeah. I have all these different lights I've tried and sometimes it's just <laughs> it's not it's not as yeah but Isn't um funny, yeah the things that you know I guess when people imagine oh you know creating your own business creating your own, own, own online course you know we don't necessarily imagine or anticipate the sort of things that can really trip you up uh, you know, and whether it is technology or lighting or sound, the, the editing, uh, all those kinds of things, they're all just things to learn. And they can also be things that can be a bit of a, a handbrake for you too. 
when you look back on the process of, of how long it took you to package up your knowledge and get your first version of the course live, is there anything that you think in that process that you spent longer on than you think you needed to with hindsight? I think I was a real perfectionist and I, I, I think at first when I was recording, I can't, I was trying to get it perfect. Uh-huh. Like, you know, especially like the videos where I was doing more off the cuff where, you know, like for my, some of the videos I did scripted if they were, if I was just doing a voiceover. Um, but the ones that were more like me doing a demo of like, um, me like editing and me demonstrating how I'm using track changers or how I'm, mm-hmm. you know, running some grammar checks and what ch- changes I'm making. Those are more off the cuff, like not scripted. Mm-hmm. And I would be record and re-record and re-record. <laughs> and I was just really hard on myself. I was like, oh, I sound, I don't, I don't sound good there. I'm going to re-record it. And because I wasn't good at editing, I'd had, even if I recorded 30 minutes already, <laughs> I'd go back to the beginning and record the whole thing again. So, I wasted a lot of time and finally I kind of realized that I I think people kind of connect with you more if you're more informal and casual and you know they don't expect you to be perfect in fact they're kind of picking a class like this they're kind of feeling like they're not perfect like they're you know that their manuscript has a lot to fix in it and if you can show that you're human (laughs) you know they won't intimidated but that was just hard for me to learn you're more relatable but you know and this is the thing we all have these things that with hindsight we we can you know more objectively see oh I probably you know wasted a lot of time on that trying to be perfect when really when the content that you're sharing is useful and valuable people are very forgiving and they don't care anywhere near as much as you do about you know, your hair looking weird today. That's something I'm always really critical of myself because <laughs> I've got this big mop of curls and, you know, they never do what they're supposed to do. But, you know, if if it's if I just get distracted by worrying about those kinds of things, then I'm not focusing on just serving and adding value. But I think it's, it's one of those things we all go through these uh, different stages of realising that I'm fixating on this thing and often it's just procrastination rather than it's accepting that it's never going to be perfect you just need to get it up and out there and as people go through the course you'll realize things that do need more attention and other things that people don't even care about or don't even use and so it's just I'm a big fan of trying to get out of our own way to just get started and get moving rather than trying to make something perfect so I'm glad that you shared that observation of of your um perfectionist streak coming out (laughs) I think one thing I had to remind myself too is that I wanted to keep my course affordable and I know that there are some courses that are much more expensive that are like a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars and they have video crews and they're not doing them all themselves they have sound people they have editors and you know they can do that because they're charging so much but my whole thing is that I want to make the course affordable and I want to cut down on their expenses. So I kind of had to remind myself, okay, well, I'm doing this on myself mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, eventually I can hire an assistant or something like that. But, you know, I, I don't have a video crew. I, I, this isn't, my, <laughs> I'm sharing my expertise, yes. but 
you know, it's not, I don't have that huge technology background. So I'm doing the best that I can and I'm making it professional. Yeah. And you don't it's, have, that's what I can expect. Yeah. So. You don't have a lighting crew and a hair and makeup crew and a everything else crew. And so, you know, <laughs> what comes with that is that you're not having to pass on some of those running costs. So, you know, I think, again, people... Whilst it can be impressive when you see someone's course and it looks visually beautiful and high-end production values, that, that can be great, but it's not necessarily improving the quality of the content. And so I'm you know, re- really pleased to hear that you're just sort of focusing on, I've got this stuff, it's useful for my audience, and I just want to get it out there as quickly and easily as I can to make it as affordable as I can for the right kind of people. So I think that's a really good approach to take. When you look back on the the shift to online course rather than your own time for money, were there any areas that you did seek out external support on? Um. It just like for my logo, I mm-hmm. um, you know, I hired somebody to do that for me. Um, and can I ask on that because the logo is an interesting one. So I'm so pleased you brought it up because I that is one that I see women, especially who I work with, procrastinating for a long time over the logo. And I know I probably did it with mine years and years ago too, of just flaffing a bit about that and hesitating about logos and business names and sometimes with logos they just want to you know get something and they do it themselves or they might do it through uh, an online service like Upwork or 99designs and other people go for a um, a graphic designer that specializes in doing these kinds of things what approach did you take with your logo brief and creation um, well, I started with my husband, who is a high school graphic design teacher, and oh, he was coming up with some concepts. Yeah, he's done a lot of my book covers, but he was—I wasn't being very clear to him <laughs> what I wanted for a logo because I didn't really know. Yes, I was kind of like with shortcuts. I was thinking like kind of something with direction, you know, like like a path or like a something that implied like shortcuts like an arrow, you know, that kind of thing and two different paths. And he was trying to convey that and it just, I didn't like it. (laughs) So he was like, well, come back to me when you know what you want. And I just didn't know what I want. So so then I was in like a Facebook group of women entrepreneurs and they had like one of those collaboration threads where somebody was looking to get started doing graphic design and she was willing to do it you know, for a very affordable price. So then I contacted her and said, you know, and told her what I was looking for. And then she came up with this concept of like scissors, like, like shortcuts, mm-hmm. like cut, cutting through the scissors. And I thought that worked well um, with cutting, you know, cutting and yep. editing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't sure what colors to use in the logo. Mm-hmm. So um, she the initial the initial colors I think were kind of like a gold and a maroon um and I loved the concept but you know and I thanked you for yeah, I gave her a testimonial and I thought she did a great job but then after you know I wasn't working with her anymore um I it, it's just the colors when I at this point I was also designing my website mm-hmm. I I bought the Divi program um kind of a drag and drop 
WordPress programs because I didn't want to hire a designer. I wanted to um, design it myself. Mm -hmm. So I taught myself the program. But as I was fooling around with colors and trying to figure out, I didn't like that color scheme mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> that was in the logo. So then, then I went to my husband and said, okay, you know, I have this logo here. Can we play with colors? And then we play with different colors. And I was researching like all these different color schemes. And I, so I kept giving him some colors to try. And then finally... <laughs> I found a color scheme I like, yeah. and then I got, use that in my website, and I use it in all, all my graphics and everything. Yeah, but, yeah. It was it's just quite a. It was not a shortcut to, <laughs> to create this well, business. Course, it was a long scenic route. Yes. Your, your course is not called Shortcuts for Logos, so that's okay. no. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And what about the financial side of things? This is something that comes up in a lot of conversations that I have with women that are starting their own business or working for themselves is that the financial side of things is a factor and it can sometimes be a factor that holds them back from getting started because they're concerned about money and making enough money. And other times when they do get started, it can be a factor in their pricing, how they feel about asking for a sale or anything to do with money conversations for you how did money play a part, if at all, for you in making this transition to the course creator side of things? And, and since you started it, what are some observations around it? Um, I, the reason, one of the reasons why I decided to branch out into course creation was because with editing, even though I still do editing, I just, I wasn't making enough money doing it mm-hmm. to just like with all the time. I was putting into it uh, and, and again it's like trading type like trading time for money and it was really I was doing like a manuscript a week and I really couldn't do any more than that without burning out yeah um and then so you just max out really, your time don't you when when you kind of yeah. I, I've got capacity to do one a week and it's like well that's it so then it's like how much can I charge for the one and if you can't right. do more then you've kind of maxed yourself out so it's either it was either significantly like raise my rates, which I did raise them, but you know, yeah, I would have had to significantly raise them. And again, coming from that writing background myself, I I don't think a lot of authors are, um, you know, are in in a position to like spend that much money, you know, the amount of money I would have had to be charging. Um, And and I almost felt bad charging that much too, because I know that a lot of them would need multiple rounds of editing. You know, if somebody was going to pay me like over a thousand dollars for one round of editing, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel really bad telling them. I think you're going to need several more rounds <laughs> of editing. So I just didn't think that was that was really the way to go as far as increasing my income. Um, and the courses, I wanted to kind of have see if I could get some more passive income coming in, which. Um, so the course is the course is self-paced, so it's actually people can enroll in it and they can go at their own pace. So it's all re-recorded re- and everything. Um, right. So, so you're not delivering it as like a live training. These are standalone, self-paced. Someone would would buy the course and access it at whatever time, day or night, wherever they are in the world. They, they're not having to uh, attend a session on Tuesday at eight o'clock or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is, um, so I, I thought that was more the way to go to, 
to have some courses that were that we bring into path. And, and it's I don't know, not really passive income because there's a lot of marketing yeah. to do. But yeah. at the same time, it's nice when you know it, it, at midnight I'm just kind of <laughs> checking my email if I can't sleep. And I say, oh, I sold the course. Yeah, you know, that, that's nice when you're not. Um, just to have that money coming in. And now my latest thing is um, I, I do plan to do some more courses and to have like a, like this course is more like for fiction writers, but I'm thinking about having like a light version with just the line editing and copy editing and then doing something for nonfiction mm-hmm. writers. I mean, we have like a bundle for those who want everything. Yeah. Um, but I'm also planning to launch an affiliate program soon. So that's what I'm working on now is I'm writing all my promotional copy for affiliates and I'm making a big, um, a big database of contacts. Like uh, I'm going, I've been going through people I know and going through who my Facebook friends are and who, mm-hmm. who I'm following on Instagram and making a list of um, different people who I think might it'd be worth contacting them to see if they would be interested in being an affiliate for the course or that way. Yeah. Um, because I found that a lot. I also have a Facebook group, Shortcuts Writers Facebook group, and I've been finding right. that a lot of people, like when I ask them in their screening questions, like how they found me, a lot of them are saying, "Oh, um, some, uh, somebody in the group told me about you, or somebody um, you were recommended, or I saw somebody was talking about you in like a, another Facebook group." So I think when recommendations are powerful, and, and I think that's sort of the next, rather than you know, working so hard just to get like one sale, I think it could be, again, more kind of more passive income and more easier to kind of streamline the process if I'm connecting with with some influencers who know people who could use this help yeah. and are recommending me or saying, hey, you know, you know, check out Stacy's course or, yeah. Um, so that's sort of my focus now. For the next for phase. The yeah, great. Yeah. And so just, you know, if you're listening and you're like, what? An affiliate? What does this mean? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, just to be clarifying that, an affiliate is where if you have a, uh, a product or a service that exists uh, and somebody uh, basically promotes that to their audience and their audience buy it, that they would be paid a fee, whether it's a set fee or a percentage, it depends, it varies a lot depending on what the product is that you're selling. They would be paid a fee um, for selling on your behalf. And what it can do, yes, you have to pay someone like a commission if you like, um, so you don't get the full sale price, but it enables you to reach a, a far wider audience than you could on your own. And so it, it can be, a, for some businesses, it can be a great model to explore, especially when you've got a course like Stacey's talking about, which is um, an off-the-shelf self-paced program. So it doesn't require, once it's built, it doesn't require a lot of um, content delivery from her. So an affiliate pathway can be great to expand your network. Um, and back to you, Stacey, I think the other thing that's a, a, a theme that's popping up is that you exploring this affiliate pathway is just another step in the scalability uh, focus that you're wanting to create with this side of your work life so that you're you know, able to expand your reach and sell more without it requiring you to sit with a manuscript. Right. I even, I even talked to my husband about the um, um, just a couple of months ago, I said, okay, so I, I think I'm at a, I launched my course. I had my first, first launch and everything. And I, um, 
had to decide like what what the next step is. So I said I could either <laughs> um, do another class. I have like this time management class. I used to teach like a really informal t- time management class, like for some writing groups, like over Yahoo groups a long time ago. Nothing like the courses I'm teaching now. But I said I could either um, focus on maybe, maybe I could do that and just kind of make it more multimedia and um, experience updated and that kind of thing. Or I could start this affiliate program, but starting the affiliate program, I would need to upgrade. Right now I'm on a free plan um, for my, I I use Thinkific, so I'm on the free plan, but to have the affiliate program and to also be able to like offer coupons and things like that, I'd have to upgrade to to a monthly fee Mm -hmm. to the next step to an eight pay plan. So I said, okay, um, you know, these, you know, what do you think I should do? I said, I, I like the affiliate idea, but I, I do have to pay this monthly fee. And, you know, he said, you know, I think the affiliate idea makes more sense because, you know, because I was telling him, you know, there's so many writing groups I could contact, um, you know, small publishers, um, author service providers, mm-hmm. people who've taken the class before. Just, I said, it was really like an unlimited, you know, <laughs> There's writers and you know everywhere. It's really an unlimited um, amount of people I could, you know, find to, mm-hmm. uh, to approach if I you know, focus on that. So, um, so I think he agreed with me that the scalability that that made more sense to yeah. kind of get that going and um, see see where that went, and then um, you know just kind of start building up my reputation and my contacts and getting yeah. out about that and then expanding courses a little bit down the line. Yeah, great. And also remembering that um, what can often happen is that you can feel like, oh, I've created this course and now I have to do, you know, what's what's the next thing or the next course, the next offer. And, and, you know, it is great to have a pathway for people that once they've bought the first thing from you, what's the next thing? But to remember the value in offering your course again, launching it again, whether you work out, you know, how often you're doing that so that you're not constantly feeling like you have to create new things, but you just keep refining the effectiveness of your marketing to sell the thing you've already got. So I think both of those, you know, opportunities for you to relaunch again, as well as exploring the affiliate pathway, I think they're really great um, options for you. So Stacey, if someone's listening and they're thinking, oh, I'd love to find out more about you and about the course and the other things that you're offering, where should they go? You mentioned a Facebook group, but where should people uh, go to, to reach out, to connect with you? Yep. So if they're interested in the, in my writing services and my class, they can go to shortcutsforwriters.com and I have a free five-day line editing class that they can take where they'll get um, uh, five days of lessons emailed um, you know, th- to their email address um, to help them with their line editing skills. And then um, they'll also see a link on the website to my Facebook group, Shortcuts for Writers, Editing Made Simple group. Um, and if they join that, that's a community of um, I started it about a year ago, and now we're up to over 1,200 writers um, all over the world, from um, beginner writers to advanced best-selling writers. So it's a great positive group where we really focus on – it's not one of those groups where you drop in and promote your stuff. It's really – it's all um, craft and supporting each other and, um, you know, um, it's just really a great community. And then we have, like, a unit section where there's a lot of um, – 
a lot of materials, lots of blog posts and videos. Um, there's a free book blurb toolkit that they can download to help them write their um, back cover copy. So yeah, so if they're interested in writing and editing, I highly recommend you know, checking out the group. Check that out. And then, yep. And then I also have a YouTube channel, which um, I plan to be, I've been doing a lot more with it um, over the past few months, but I plan to um, grow it even more like later on this year. Where I'd like to do a lot more videos about um, with quick writing tips and that kind of thing. Yeah. Fantastic. Lots of great things going on in your world, Stacey. No, thanks. <laughs> so are there any other tips or insights that you would like to share that perhaps for someone listening who is thinking about starting their own business, maybe they're thinking about an online business or online course, any kind of things that you wish that you knew sooner or uh, other insights that you think would be useful? I think just doing your research, like before I jumped into anything, I did a lot of research into online courses. Mm -hmm. um, I knew I wanted to do um, a Facebook group. So I, you know, I just listened to lots of podcasts from about creating online courses, mm -hmm. about growing a Facebook group. I looked online. There's lots of um, different groups online for, for women entrepreneurs or for growing your Facebook groups or for online courses. So I just really soak up as much information as you can. And um, templates I found are really helpful to me, like um, just kind of looking on websites. Find, like if, if do research on like different websites that are marking like the same kind of thing you you are just to, like for an online course go look at some online course websites and make notes of them so that you can like study them hmm. and, and see how they're um you know how they're presenting their information and um so you kind of ha like have templates to follow yeah you know the kind of reference um, points that kind of thing. things that you reference like. points yeah not to copy but to just to kind of have a guide of like okay like they have a you know how do they what do they have at the top of the website? What orders do they put things in? Like, where's the mm -hmm. bio? Where's, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So for whatever business that you're thinking about starting, just really do a lot of research and make notes. I use Trello a yeah. lot. Yep. I have all kinds of boards so with, with just with ideas. And um, I, so I just thought that's been the most helpful thing to me is just not diving right into it, but just kind of taking some time to just really study it and absorb it and, you know, learn as much as I can, like without kind of focusing on one thing and then moving on to the next thing, like, mm -hmm. you know, focus on the website or focus on, then focus on the Facebook group and then, you know, the marketing or whatever to just kind of focusing on one thing at a time, just learn as much as you can and then go on to the next step. Yeah. So you just don't feel like you have to do it all at once because <laughs> then it's so overwhelming. Yeah, to, like, totally. Break it down. Yeah. Follow a bit of a pathway, I think. Um, and also so, so that you don't get you know, stuck in that procrastination zone of flapping. Cause I think websites are another example of something that, you know, we can fall into the trap of just constantly tweaking and working on when the reality is there's plenty of people that actually get their first clients before they even have a website, but it's, so it's something that you want to have and it's a good credibility piece and all the other things that you use websites for. Um, but you also don't want to flaff over that before, and use it as an excuse to not kind of get started with connecting with people and letting them know what you're doing and, and starting to connect and work with clients as well. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Stacey, thank you so much for sharing your insights. And I think it's really great to get perspective for someone who has done an online course as their business model, because I really am keen to share through this interview series, different types of business models and different types of um, subject matter that people are doing. So I think it would be really great for people to have heard about your process of, you know, the things that you did and things that you've learned. So thank you so much for sharing your insights. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. And all the best for um, continuing your growth of the course and uh, the, the next steps for you with your affiliates. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. So that's it for another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. But if you are at a point where you have an idea and you feel like the next phase of your work life is going to be you working for yourself, then one of the first things that you really, really need to get sorted is the money side of things. And I'm not just talking about figuring out how much money it's going to cost you to get a logo or and a website done. I'm talking about you and how you handle the money side of your work and life. And to get you started on that, one of the things that you need to know is that there are actually five money zones. And these are five aspects of your life that influence how you think, feel and act around and with money. How much you earn, what you do with the money that you earn, how it helps you or holds you back. There's a whole relationship that you have with money. So if you're going to create a successful, thriving business that gives you the sort of freedom and lifestyle that you want to enjoy, then you really need to know what the five money zones are and which one of the five zones you need to work on first based on your unique situation in order to have the biggest positive impact on how much money you earn and keep. And you can discover all about the money zones right now in an easy five-minute money breakthrough quiz that I've created that you can get your hands on right now at thetransitlounge.com forward slash money quiz. I'll put a link in the show notes for you as well, but it's thetransitlounge.com forward slash money quiz. And I really do encourage you to go and check it out because if you can get your money side of things sorted, then trust me, everything else becomes so much easier for you to start and grow your own business. When you don't have the money side sorted, it tends to be the fastest handbrake to your creativity and your business growth. So go do that now. You've got nothing to lose. Go do the quiz, figure out your money zones and go have a great week. See you next week.